You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Jesus is not God. Our faith is in vain. You do not have to read the Gospels very long until you come to the realization that Jesus is not a liar, that Jesus is not a lunatic. You come to the realization that he truly is the Son of God who came to earth as a man who died for our sins on the cross, and then God raised him from the dead, and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. You can clearly see that. Most influential people are considered by some as a crazy person and by others as an extraordinary person who could do what most others couldn't. Well, what do you believe about Jesus? Today, Pastor Dave asks you to believe and trust that Jesus is who he says he is and to take him at his word. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Claims of Jesus Equal with God. working mightily in your lives, even today, even right now. And for those of you who are hurting, trust me on this, folks. From those of you who are hurting, God is listening to your cries. He hears your pleas. He knows your sorrow. He sees your affliction, and he wants to be there for you. I will never leave nor forsake you. He is always with you in the midst of the storm. He's there right beside you. Always working. How blessed it is to know that at no time is the throne ever vacant. No time is the throne. Uh, well, you know, I've been on here for six hours. I'm going to take a break. Earth, good luck. Praise God, that doesn't happen. He never leaves the throne. Never leaves the throne. You see, this drove the religious leaders nuts. This drove them nuts. By using the term father, Jesus takes the issue to a higher level. He takes the issue to a much higher level than the Sabbath day. Oh, no. He pushes the envelope, gang. He pushes the envelope. Namely, he's saying, I have authority because I am the Son of God. If God is his Father, then Jesus is the Son. The religious leaders are recognizing that immediately because the Son of God is a name for the Messiah. The Son of God is a name for the Messiah. In verse 18, we see how this infuriates the religious leaders. They immediately are just confused, and look what they say. Therefore, why? Because Jesus worked on the Sabbath, and Jesus said, My Father is working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Let's kill him. How dare him say that? Let's kill him. And why did they want to kill him? Why would they want to kill him? Because to make yourself equal with God is blasphemy. It's blasphemy, and blasphemy carried the penalty of death. They thought anybody who would say this is filled with arrogance. Can't be saying this. But the next words that Jesus speaks reveal his spirit, 
reveal how spiritual he just is. Let's read verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, now some of you who read the old King James, you'll get a verily, verily there. You know, it simply means pay attention. Pay attention, verily, verily. This is important. Pay attention. I used to tell you about the old science teacher I had, old biology teacher. Every time we're taking notes and he wanted our attention, he would say, Now hold on tight, folks. We're going around the corner. Jesus said to them, hold on tight, gang. We're going around a corner. Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever the father does, the son also does in like manner. The son can do nothing of himself. In other words, Jesus never takes the initiative. Why? Because it's the father that initiates. The father sends. The father commands. The father grants authority. And what does Jesus do as the Son? He responds to the Father in submission, in obedience. He performs what God has asked him to do, and he receives the authority that God has given him, and he walks in that authority. Jesus only does what the Father does, only says what the Father says. For whatever the Father does, Jesus does in like manner. See, this relationship between Father, Son, the Father, the Son, is not that of master and slave. No, no, no. It's not even that of an employee-employer. It's a loving, cherishing relationship between a father and a son who are united in love. A father and a son who are united in love. When Jesus came to earth as a man, he submitted all things to the father. In fact, there's a Hebrew scripture in chapter 10, verse 9. We've got to read 8 and 9. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burn offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had any pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Jesus came to do the will of God. He came specifically to do God's will. And when was this will thought of? When was this will of the Father when did they come up with this idea? A lot of people think, well, after Adam sinned, God said, Oy vey, what do I do now? That's not what happened. That's not what happened. Because Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.20, He, Jesus indeed, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And in Revelation 13, verse 8, all who dwell on earth will worship him, Jesus, whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, who was slain before the foundations of the world. So this wasn't the second choice. This was the original plan. This was plan A. This was plan A. But it was still an act of obedience. It was a complete act of submission and obedience because Jesus did it at the acceptable appointed time. It was the acceptable appointed time. And we've been set apart with God. We've been sanctified. Our sanctification is founded on the will of Christ, not our own will. I don't sanctify myself. That's the religious box. I'll never do anything to get holy. I'll never be worthy. I'll never be good enough. But Christ is, and in Christ is where I hope. My sanctification is founded on the offering of Jesus, not on something that I can muster up. I can kill all the boats, ghouls, and cats, and dogs I want. If it's not to Jesus... Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. I love these words. In the Hebrews, it says, once and for all. 
These are important words. These really are important words, and they need to sink in to all of us. The writer of Hebrews repeated this theme over and over and over, once and for all. What does that mean? That means it's settled. It is settled forever, once and for all. And what we need to do is we need to settle it in our hearts. We need to settle it, believe it, and move on. Stop trying to figure it out. Believe it, settle it, and move on. That's what we're called to do. We're called to do that. Jesus veiled his glory willingly and laid aside his ability to exercise his divine attributes. When Satan tempted him in the wilderness, Satan wanted him to use his divine powers. Jesus refused to act on his own. Why? Because he was totally dependent on the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love this. Why? Because I see a picture of our relationship to Jesus. I see a picture of our relationship with Jesus. Just like, like Jesus' relation to God. Let me clarify that. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus initiates, Jesus sends the message to his word, Jesus commands us, and according to Matthew 28, he gives us authority. So we, in turn, are subject to him, therefore we submit to him, and we respond to his commandments by obeying and performing that which is done in our lives. That's the relationship we have. I'm only doing what Jesus is doing, and I'm only saying what Jesus is saying. My life and his are so intertwined. We are one. When you look at it in plain English here, what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, he's basically saying, hey, guys, if you really want to place the blame on somebody, try the Father. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. He's God. I'm just doing what he's doing. It's not my fault. And healing the man on the Sabbath was sin. If that was sin, the Father's to blame. That's what he's saying. And I love the next verse. Read the next verse. Look at it. verse 20. For the Father loves the Son oh, and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. I love that the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. Oh, my gosh. How much does the Father love the Son? Oh, my goodness. Beautiful love that a father has for his child. Beautiful love that a father has for his son is nothing compared to what the love of a father has, the father has for the son of God. Interesting. Built on love and confidence. Built on love and confidence. The father loves him enough to show him all things. This is the second time it's recorded in the Gospel of John because John recorded it in chapter 335. The same words. The Father loves the Son. And the Greek words here, the tense, means continual love. It means love always. It means a love that's never broken up. It's a love that always happens. It's always coming forward. It's always there. The Father never ceases to love the Son. And as I was looking at this, and as I was trying to come up with what the Lord wanted to show me through this, I see this great passage in John 1, verse 12. It says, But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So what's being told me here, that is if we accept Christ as our Savior, then God is our Father. And we are his children. And oh, how the Father loves the Son. And oh, how the Father loves you. 
how the Father loves you as His children. He loves you and it never ceases coming towards you. His love is new every morning. His love constantly comes to you like the waves of the ocean, constantly pouring out upon you, constantly showering and coming over you, constantly there for you to rely on. His love is perfect. Matthew Henry, I love him, said this, quote, the prophets were faithful servants, but Christ is the son. The prophets are employed as servants, but Christ is the beloved son. The father was well pleased with the son. He said it twice at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration. The father loved the son in the midst of his humiliation. The father loved the son in the midst of his suffering. He loved the son and placed all things into his hand. What father doesn't love a son in the midst of their hard times, in the midst of their trouble, in the midst of their time? Father loves the son. It's a built-in love. It's a love that only a father can have for a son. It's a perfect love. The father trusted the son. He gave him the spirit without measure, and he gave him all grace into his hands. Jesus said he had received authority from the father to do even greater things than hear the lame man. Jesus said, I'm going to do things that will amaze you. It's as if the religious box was standing there and her mouth was hanging open. And they're going, what? And Jesus looks at him and says, you ain't seen nothing yet, folks. You haven't seen anything yet. And then in the last several verses, Jesus gives us three examples of the work he shared between the Father. The first one is the raising of the dead in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. This was a blasphemous statement because the Jews believe only God could raise the dead. Once again, Jesus is making a claim that he's God. He's making a claim that he's equal with God. But if you look into the verse, if you really dig into the verse, I believe that he's not talking about physical life. I think he's talking about spiritual life. I think he's talking about spiritual life. Most certainly he was referring to spiritual life giving life to the spiritually dead. And you know, you've been around here long enough, you know i got to go to Ephesians 2. You know I have to go to Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we are all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the far flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our mind. And were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. And you know, in that beautiful passage in chapter 11, the beautiful passage in chapter 11 of the Gospel of John, when John shows up after Lazarus has died, Martha meets him, and Martha scolds him and says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, your brother will live again. He says, oh, I know he'll be alive on the resurrection. And Jesus says, no, no. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes me, even though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I love that. Jesus had power to give life. He had power to restore life, spiritual life, forever. And then he hits her right between the eyes with these words, Martha, do you believe this? 
Do you believe? The Son gives life to whom he will. Healing power that Jesus had for the lame man is nothing compared to this power. It's nothing compared to the power to give life to those who are spiritually dead. The next one is judgment. He was given the power to execute judgment in verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. See, once again, to the Jews, the power to execute judgment only belonged to God. belonged to no one else. God was the judge of all the earth, according to Genesis 18.25. No one dared to make this claim for fear of being called a lunatic. But Jesus made the claim. By claiming to be judge, Jesus once again claimed to be God. And in Acts 17... I didn't tag it last time. You might think I tag it. In Acts 17, verse 31, it says, Because he was appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he, God, has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. God has given judgment over to Jesus Christ. Who will you stand before on judgment day? Jesus. Jesus has been given all power. And finally... The last claim is that we should honor Jesus just like we honor the Father. Verse 23, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. He claimed equality with God in honor because Jesus had been given the power to execute judgment by God the Father. He then should receive honor that's due his name. Honor the Son as you would the Father. If you fail to honor the Son, it means you do not and cannot honor the Father. Jesus clearly says that he's the Son of God. If he was not, this really would have been blasphemy. This really would have been blasphemy. And unfortunately, there are groups today that do not honor the Son. They do not honor the Son. They do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They do not believe in the Incarnation. They do not believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. This is one of the marks of a false cult, is the failure to honor the Son. See, Satan is attacking the church in three ways. He's attacking through his word. He's attacking through the divinity of Christ. And he's attacking through the Godhead. And he still attacks today. He attacks through the Holy Spirit. We are to trust and try every spirit that comes about. In the first epistle of John, it says to test every spirit to see if that spirit is from God. He attacks the work of the Holy Spirit. He attacks Jesus' testimony. There's people who say, well, I believe in God, but I don't necessarily believe in Jesus. I really don't know about him. Jesus here is declaring quite plain, if you don't honor me, you're not honoring the Father. And so there are various groups and they fail to honor Jesus but they claim to be Christian groups, and they're not really honoring the Father. A person who denies the deity of Jesus Christ will have to answer C.S.S. Lou's question. So then you're saying Jesus is either a lunatic or a liar. What is he? This is the mere argument. Jesus claimed to be the presence of the kingdom of God among his people. He claimed to be God's own authority to forgive sins. He claimed to be one with the Father as well as distinct from the Father. He did not deny the charge that they said against him that you're claiming yourself to be equal with God. He basically said, yeah, I know. If he was not God, like I said, it would have been blasphemy. If Jesus is not God, our faith is in vain. You do not have to read the Gospels very long until you come to the realization that Jesus is not a liar, that Jesus is not a lunatic, 
you come to the realization that he truly is the son of God who came to earth as a man, who died for our sins on the cross, and then God raised him from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. You can clearly see that. Let me leave you with a little story. At the end of the Gospel of John, there's a beautiful, beautiful scene where Jesus comes and visits the disciples. Well, he's been popping in and out all the time. One of the disciples refuses to believe that Jesus is alive. One of the disciples won't believe that Jesus is alive. They call him a doubter, but he's really a skeptic. Unless I can put my hand in the nail prints in his hands, unless I can put my hand in the wound in his side, I don't believe. Well, they were in a room, and all of a sudden, Jesus appeared. And he walked over to Thomas, and he said, Thomas, put your hands here in my nail prints. Put your hand here in my side. Thomas looked at him and fell to his knees. Thomas falls to his knees. He holds up his hands and he says, my Lord and my God. Jesus did not rebuke Thomas. He did not rebuke Thomas. I had an argument one day with a person who came to my door, knocked on my door, and wanted to talk to me about Jesus. And they denied the deity of Christ. We had this argument for a long, 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 long time. Scriptures back and forth. And when these kind of people come to your door, if you're not armed with scriptures, you better be in trouble because they are. And they know the word of God. God bless them. And I came to this scripture and I said, okay, finally we have to decide right now what's going on. And I said this scripture. And I said that scripture. And I read that scripture. And I read to the end, Jesus said, my Lord and my God, and Jesus rebuked him. And the person looked at me in the eye and said, I'll give you that. <laughs> You'll give me that? <laughs> Folks, it's out there. You have to make the decision. I've made my decision. And I'm very, very comfortable with my decision. You have to make your decision. You have to make your decision. Who is Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic or is he Lord? Is he Lord of your life? You have to make that decision. I can't make that decision. And I'm going to leave you with the same thing that Jesus left Martha with after he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? Do you believe? Because that's what it comes down to. Where do you put your faith? Where are you placing your faith? Jesus is the only way to God. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way to the Father. There is no other way. Come to Christ now. Believe that he is the Son of God. Believe that he was God incarnate. Believe that he went to a cross as God, but died in your stead and for your sins. Believe that and you will be saved. That's what Scripture says. Believe in the resurrection and have everlasting life. That's what Jesus wants. But it's up to you to decide. I've placed it out there for you. Now you have to decide. Amen. You are We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. 
You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.